0: Corinthian church, as we've been saying all along, had some unhealthy stuff going on in the midst of that congregation. Am I right about it? And so when we look at this church, and again, we entitle this series Scandalous, an inside look at the Corinthian church. Our purpose for examining this church is to see some of the weaknesses, the traps that they were dealing with, and then identify those and try to put ourselves in a position where we're not falling into those same traps. Amen? And so I pray that you're learning something. Amen? Sometimes we look back at people and we look at what others are doing. I think that when we look at the Corinthian church, there's some things that we need to learn. Sexual immorality was run, was running rampant. Uh, lack of respect for leadership was not there. There was arguing, bickering, and fighting that was going on. And Paul, in the first part of this letter, we as we shared with you before, he addressed those issues and concerns that were brought to him. And we went into this last part of this uh, book. Uh, he begins to answer the questions that were asked of him by this particular church. And Paul, who had apostolic authority over them, began to pour into their life and share some, some, some truths with them. One of the things that, that this, this, this church, I think, suffered from was the fact that there were many of them in here who thought they were Christians, who thought they were followers of Christ, but their lives did not match their profession. I want y'all to hear me carefully. There were many in the Corinthian church who if you were to stand them up at 12 o'clock at night, they would tell you I'm a born again believer, I'm a Christian. But the sad reality was their lifestyle did not match their profession of faith. Two of the greatest problems facing the church today, I believe, are those, uh, one is false sense of security, false, falsely believing that you're safe and you're saved, and when you're really not. And when you can live any kind of way, and when you can disrespect God's house, and you can disrespect what his word says about your lifestyle, and then still proclaim that I'm a born-again believer, something is not Right? And when you become overconfident in the fact, I know I'm going to heaven. And there are people who will tell you, I know I've been born again. Well, what I'm going to tell you is is that if you've truly been born again, there should be a difference in the way you live your life. Can I get two witnesses up in here? To say that I'm a Christian, to say that I'm born again, and have a lifestyle that is consistently in a practicing way of sinning, with no remorse and no regret, guys, I'm here to tell you the Bible that I read and the Jesus that I, that the Scripture talks about does not condone that type of quote Christianity. And so many in the Christian in the Corinthian Church, uh, you know, were thinking and saying that they were saved, but but they may have been wrong. A lot, and I, again, people deal with different stuff. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that because you messed up that means you're not saved. But when you got a lifestyle of messing up and you're not trying to adhere to what the Holy Scripture says, then there is a problem. Amen. Saying and thinking uh, that they're saved, but not living like they're saved. Amen. Uh, Maybe you got baptized and you belong to a church, but baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is the first commandment of obedience, what? After salvation. We thank God for all those who we baptize in this church. But guess what? How many know you can you can go down in the water, unsaved, and come up unsaved? The water itself does not save you, but the profession of faith in allowing Christ Jesus to come in your heart and to transform your life, amen, that's what saved us. So there were many in this Corinthian church who were, who were professing Christ, but their lifestyles were, were 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 divergent from what a Christian's lifestyle should be. Maybe you partake of the Lord's Supper. How many of y'all take the Lord's Supper when we take it? The the Lord's Supper represents, uh, the bread represents what? The broken body of Christ. The fruit of the vine represents the shed blood. And when we partake of that, literally what we're doing is we're identifying ourselves with Christianity. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, what we're saying to the outside world is, Hey, listen, guys, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in his supreme sacrifice that he gave for me out on Golgotha's hill. I believe in that. I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection as the mechanism to get me in right standing with God. But how many of you know we have many who partake of the Lord's Supper, but who really are not saved? I want you to think about this for a second. You may even sense the presence of something supernatural from time to time. In other words, ooh, when I went to church, whoa, I felt it in my spirit. Oh, I got a chill that went over my back. Maybe you got a chill because it's cold in here. All chills don't equal Holy Spirit. Are oh, y'all listening to me today? All right? So, because you felt something one night or felt something one Sunday does not mean that you're saved. So, this was the problem with the Corinthian believers. Amen. All those things were true of them. Many were partaking of the Lord's Supper. Many had been baptized. Many were coming to church. But their lifestyles were divergent from what a Christian's lifestyle should be. So my question to you today is, are you truly saved? Do you recall a time when you invited Christ into your heart to save you? And you actually meant that. You made that profession of faith. And that profession has resulted in a transformation in your lifestyle. Not saying that you're perfect. But there's something different about you than what it was before you came to Christ. If you're the same person, same old mean old ornery, hateful person that can't nobody tell you anything like you were before you got saved, you're still doing it after you got saved, you got to check yourself and make sure that, that you're not in that, in that category of, of somebody who's walking in deception. So so uh, as, as we go into this 10th chapter, look back with me again at, at, at verse number one. First Corinthians 10th chapter, I want you to make sure that you examine your life. The Bible says in one in one passage of scripture, it says, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine or not. Yeah. We ought to always be doing self-examination. Self-examination, guys, can be tough, can it? Because we're looking at ourselves and we're having to identify our weak spot. And nobody really likes to kind of do that on the regular because we kind of think we, you know, pretty good people. Am I right about it? You know, for the most part, the Bible says every man, every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. All of us will tell, tell most of us, when we sit down and we talk to us, you, you're not going to come up to me and start telling me all the bad stuff you've done, are you? Are you? Oh, pastor, you, you, pastor, you should have been there f- uh, Friday night. Fr- me and my husband got into it and I cussed him f- from one side up to the other side. And I told him, I told him peace of my mind because you know what? I told him I don't play. I'm from the cup of row. I don't play. I told him. Yeah, I did. My mama told me, don't let, don't you ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's, maybe that's not your testimony. Maybe it's something else. But most of y'all won't come up to me in a regular conversation and begin to reveal your weaknesses. The young lady on the video said that she 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 found a a a group of Christian believers who she could reveal her junk to. (laughs) And she she began to share in that group, that that authentic community began to strengthen her to where she she got away from the same sex relationship because she knew it was wrong. And began to walk with Christ, amen, in a more diligent and a proficient way. So so watch this right look, look what Paul says as he, again, we're, we're unpacking this 10th chapter and we shared a little bit of this on last week, but I want to kind of, uh, hit hit it hit a little bit closer. Again, the Corinthian church felt like they were safe just like the Israelites felt like they were safe because they were God's chosen family. They were God's chosen nation and they assumed that because we belong to God, we're God's people, Then, you know, we can kind of, you know, do what we want to do. We can kind of, you know, long for Egypt and go back there. We can we can make uh, golden calves or we can do some of this other stuff. And what they swiftly, everybody say swiftly, found out that God's judgment will come upon his people. He loves us, but he's also a just judge. Are you tracking with me today? Look at verse number one. Let's read. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry land, on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers, what of Moses? All of them ate the same what spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was what? Christ. I remember the song I used to sing, uh, be very sure your ankle hole and grips a solid rock. That rock is God's only son. That, that rock is Jesus. Any any, you, can I get any old school Baptist folk up here who remember that song, amen? All right, that rock is Jesus. Now again, here we see from the scripture text that Christ did not just come on the scene in a manger in Bethlehem. Christ always was, always is, and always will be. Because the text says here that the children of Israel, it says that they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was who? Christ. You need to have the anointing, the anointed one to travel with you. Wherever you go, understand this, that, that if you are truly born again, God is w- there with you. Now I want you to let in for a second. Wherever you go, as a born-again believer, Christ is there with you. Wherever you go, as a born-again believer, Christ is there with you. If you decide that when you're out of town to go to a strip club, brother, guess who's there with you? Yeah, yeah, he's right there with you. Isn't it amazing how we think we're hiding our stuff? Isn't it amazing how we think And again, I don't know, I guess we just kind of go off in our own minds to think that God is not there with, he says, I'll never, nor, so if he never leaves me nor forsakes me, that means that wherever I go, he is. The text says, uh, from the spiritual rock that tried with them and that rock was Christ. Look at verse number five. Come on, let's go. Let's go. It says, "Yet God was not pleased with most of them. Yet God was not pleased with what? Most of them, that was still a remnant that didn't do what the crowd did. Listen, always, I want to be that person that doesn't just follow the crowd. He says, yeah, God was not pleased with most of them, which means that there was some that God was pleased with. Just because everybody else is doing something is a a really silly and poor excuse for you to do it. Examine whether or not what's going on lines up with God's word. God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now watch this, guys. First part of the outline says believers must avoid all forms of idolatry. And, we look, we, and we, we, we'll, we'll flow down through this first through the 22nd verse of this chapter. But, but, but I, want you to, I want to point out something first. First of all, Israel had five remarkable blessings and privileges as they journeyed to the promised land. Because remember, they had, been in, they had been in slavery and in captivity for 400 plus years. Now guys, I want, I want to tell you something. When you've been enslaved... Or been enslaved to something for a period of time. The moment that you get free. Physically doesn't mean that you're free spiritually and mentally. Can I get a witness? Here we have the children of Israel. Who in slavery were accustomed to being told what to do. Told when to get up. Told when to work. Told when to eat. And now God delivered them out of bondage in Egypt and now is bringing them to the promised land. But what what God already knew and what they began to discover about themselves is, is that some of them still had some Egypt in them. I want to know how many of y'all are sitting there still got some Egypt in you. Well, maybe you weren't in bondage in Egypt. Maybe you got some old benton in you. Huh? Maybe you got some of that old stuff from when you were Perusing down there on the college campus, that's still on the inside of you that needs to come out, and you're not allowed the Holy Spirit to do His perfecting work in you. Watch this. Israel had five remarkable blessings, so uh, and privileges as they've journeyed to the promised land, but there's still some stuff on the inside. Number one, Israel had the cloud of God's presence, and that refers to God's God being with them, His presence and His guidance. He was walking with them every step of the way, so even though they were in the wilderness. Do y'all remember when, Mo, when, when Moses led them out of the wilderness and, and they got to the Red Sea, mountains on, on either side, Red Sea in front of them, and Pharaoh and his army chasing them from behind? How many of you know that God stepped in in the middle of that and made a way out of no way? How, how many of y'all can witness to the fact that there have been times in your life where you've had some Red Sea-like experiences? There have been times in your life where you had stuff that came up, that it looked like it was impossible. It, looks like, it looked like it was not going to be solved, but God stepped in right in the middle of your Red Sea experience and caused a breakthrough to come in your life. I need two people who can say, I know what you're talking about, Pastor. Yes, he can, okay? So, so again, Israel passed through the Red Sea, number two. That refers to the great deliverance of God from the bondages and the enslavement of Egypt, which were... A symbol of the world. Okay, go go with me right quick to. Well, no, we we, won't, we don't have time to turn. Around. Number three. Look at number three. Israel was baptized into Moses and his leadership. Watch this now. Moses stood as a listen to this. Listen to this, carefully. Moses stood as a type of Christ. I didn't say he was Christ, but he was a type of Christ. And what you discover when you read your Bible is that is that many times. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, there was a lot of symbolism or foreshadowing of that which was to come in the New Testament. And so we see here Moses being a type of Christ. Amen. He was a type of Christ. God gave Israel the leader it needed to reach the promised land. Therefore, any person who followed Moses through the Red Sea and under the cloud was baptized, immersed, and given over to Moses and his mission. And guys, the person was proclaiming that he was a follower of Moses and his mission to reach the, the promised land. When that person proclaimed that, then what they were doing was, was basically saying that, God, I believe in in the way of deliverance that you set forth for us. You've brought Moses, our type of Christ, to deliver us out of bondage into the promised land. We have the resurrected Christ who leads us out of bondage and into a life of victory. How many of you are glad that you no longer like you used to be? I'm, I'm raising both hands. How many of you are glad that you don't still act the way you used to act? Now, come on! I know every now and then you you slip back up into. How many? How many of y'all have went back every now and then? You're not proud of it, are you? All right. But 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 my point is this: I I'm thankful that God delivered me from my sins. And Moses, a man being the type of Christ, helped deliver a man God's people out of bondage. In Egypt, and that's symbolic of being bond, in bondage to sin. Number four, Israel partook of the food and water of God's provision. Back in the in, in the text when it says uh, "spiritual rock," the word "spiritual" simply means that the, the food and the water that comes from God. Anything that comes from God is spiritual. Now, here's what we got to understand, guys. If we're going to do better than what the Corinthian church was doing. One of the things that we have to make a commitment to do is to walk in the things of the Spirit. The Bible even says this in one passage walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of what? The flesh. Because in this flesh dwelleth no good thing. In this flesh, we have desires that are are contrary to God's will for our life. So, in order for me to make sure that I'm not walking in my flesh, I got to walk in the spirit. I cannot walk in the spirit if I'm not renewing my mind. I cannot walk in the spirit and I cannot renew my mind if I'm not spending any time in word. Hear me carefully. If all of your thought processes are focused on the things of the world, that's where your focus will be on. If, my, if, I'm, if, if, if I never spend time to discover God's will for my marriage... If I never spend time to discover God's will for my work life, if I never spend time in the book to discover God's will for how I should operate in ministry, then I will not, amen, operate, amen, in a spiritual plane or walk in the spirit like the scripture teaches me. Because the mind is renewed by the word of God. Go to Romans 12 chapter right quick. Hurry, hurry, Romans 12. Y'all know this, but I want us to see it one more time. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, glory to God. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by doing what? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Guess what, God, as your pastor, I'm, I'm, my goal is to change the way you think about life. My goal is, as, as your spiritual leader, is to get you to begin to speak, amen, what God says. Remember on Wednesday night we were talking about Elijah? And how Elijah spoke what God says. Elijah told a king, Ahab, it's not going to rain. And guess what? It didn't rain. Because the man of God spoke the word of God. And when we start speaking the word of God instead of speaking what we're seeing, then we begin to see, amen, the word of God begin to have impact in our lives. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that do what? Love it, eat the fruit of. So, what are you speaking? What are you saying about your situation? What, what, what's coming out of your mouth? We're going to see here later on that, that the Israelites were murmurers and complainers. I want to poll the audience today and see how many murmurs and complainers I have in the church. How many murmuring and complaining believers do we have up in here today? How many of y'all spend all your time whining and murmuring and complaining about stuff? I'm not going to get away no amen on that one, but I, I, I need you to think about it. How much murmuring and complaining do you do? On a daily basis. Now, I, I, I don't. I'm not calling anybody out, but some of y'all are, are very negative people. Who's, who's working the board? I don't know. Is that Demarion? That's Sean. Or whoever. Is this mic up? I, I didn't. Can just turn it up louder one more time. I want to say it one more time. Some of y'all are negative people. And you never see the positive side of anything. You always look at what could go wrong rather than getting in the book and find out what can go right. Somebody comes to you and give you a vision, a goal they have. Maybe it's to start a business or maybe it's to, to start doing whatever in ministry. And the first thing you do is to figure out why it can't work. I want to figure out. First thing I want I want to know is, OK, uh, you know, if God gave it to me, I believe that it will work and that's what I'm going to speak. Yes, there may be obstacles. Yeah, there may be traps in my way. But guess what? If God gave it to me, then it will not matter what's in my way. He will make a way somehow. But what are you saying? Are you murmuring and complaining? Look at, look at verse three. for good measure. Look at verse three. Let's watch this. Watch this. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Amen. So if we look through here. Watch this again. We're going through. Israel partook of the food and the water of God's provision. Again, the, the spirit, spiritual means it, it, it comes from God. And n- number five, Israel had the presence of Christ. Amen. Note how Christ is said to have been. Present with Israel, we read that earlier. The rock that provided water for Israel is said to have been Christ. Jesus Christ was the source, the energy, the power, and the person who caused the rock to gush out the water when it came out. Caused the Red Sea to roll back. Caused the cloud to guide Israel and the rain and, and the rain matter down from heaven for them. God gave it, it was the rock, the person who of Jesus Christ who gave Moses the promise of the promised land to the people of God. So Christ has always been there. And what we got to understand is that he's there with us also. Don't let the enemy get inside of your head and tell you that you're all alone, that you can't do this thing, that God has forgotten about you. No, he has not. He's right there with you. So, so, so again, so watch this as we get down. Uh, so Israel had the presence of Christ. So look at outline number two. Uh, look at part B. Scripture says explicitly that what happened to Israel is a warning and an example to us. So, so it's critical, therefore, that that we know what caused the believers of Israel to be destroyed and what kept them from entering the promised land. First of all, there was this sin of lust. Everybody say lust. Now, I, I want you to nod at me if you ever experienced a sin of lust before. Now, I, I, as a matter of fact, let's, let's get real with it. this. This is Confession is good for your soul. If you've ever lusted before, raise your hand. Okay. If you've ever lusted before, just raise your hand real quick again. Some of y'all are sitting there like, oh, I cannot raise my hand and say that I ever lusted before. That means I'm nasty. Listen to me. Can I, can I be real? I'm your pastor, okay? I'm your pastor, so, so I, gotta talk, I need to talk to you plainly without any fear or trepidation. I want to share with you what God's word says that in our flesh, this body dwelleth no good thing. In your flesh, you will have all kinds of stuff that rises up and lust is one of those things. If you're breathing, you've had lustful thoughts before. I didn't say you acted on it. And I didn't say the thought was a sin because the thought is not the sin, right? It's the yielding. To the fault of the sin. So let us sink in. Because see again, see again here, here's what happens. Sometimes when we're not honest with ourselves about where we are and what we're experiencing, we end up falling into that, th- that very same thing that we are f- afraid to share with somebody that, hey, I am experiencing it. Now, you are know, later in that video, uh, also when, that, when that prayer partner came up to her, she she shared with and confessed the illicit relationship that she was involved in. And because she began to confess that struggle, it enabled her to to get free from that struggle. And sometimes you're sitting there dealing with stuff and and, and trying to keep it on the... uh, Yeah, okay. Trying to keep it where nobody knows. You know, some some of you come in and sometimes you're you're having marital issues. And... um, and some of y'all wear it on your face. You can tell when you've had arguments. You can tell when things are not right. And then what will happen sometimes is, it, it, you, 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 because you don't want anybody to know, you, you'll come to church and you look so happy together. And yet, and y'all know I'm telling you. If I'm lying, I'm dying. <laughs> and you old school folks, remember that? And you know, how do I know that? Because Morera and I have came to church before. And, and we've been arguing, we've been in intense, we've had heated fellowship. <laughs> Am I right, baby? We've had heated fellowship sometimes throughout the week. But when we come up in here, we try our best. Now, sometimes it gets too heavy, sometimes it may show. But for the most part, it doesn't show. And you wouldn't know that we were having heated fellowship about something that was that was that, that we need to get solved and that we were at at, at, at diverging opinions on. OK, and so 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 many times people will be struggling with stuff and they look churchy. Come on, now, you know, you don't know I mean to so look churchy. You got your suit on or maybe you dress down casual. You got your hallelujah. Glory. Thank you, Jesus. Some of us us got our churchy flow on. And we look the part. We know the hymns. We know the songs. We lift up holy hands. We say amen. We shout hallelujah. We'll even dance a little bit. But on the inside, we're dying. On the inside, we're suffering because we won't tell anybody about our struggle. The Corinthian church had some stuff going on, and I believe that some of this stuff, amen, broke out in the open because many of them failed to deal with the stuff in private. And ultimately, if you don't deal with it in private, it's going it's to come out public and Sometimes it comes out with it in, the, in the area of divorce. Sometimes it may come out in the area of, of physical abuse or verbal abuse or, or whatever may be going on in that relationship. Guys, let me tell you something. We have to put ourselves in a position to where we got to get, get, get away from the shame and say, listen, here's what I'm dealing with. Help me with this. They were dealing with the sin of lust. Amen? And, and so they lusted and they craved for all kinds of stuff. Not only just sexuality, but they, they, they were still lusting and craving for food from Egypt. They, were, they, they got tired of God's manna. Now, ain't this a trip? God is raining down manna from heaven. To feed the old rascals, I told you on last week. Once your stomach gets full, it don't care what's in the stomach. Maria and I went to a, a place and we ate. I'm not gonna call their name because I don't want to get sued. But, <laughs> but we went there and we ate and we knew better. The place we were going to, we'd eaten there before. And we said they just don't season their food very well. I mean, it's, it looks good on the menu. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. Hey, y'all I something that just. I mean, look good but there was no seasoning to it. A chicken place, no seasoning. We ate it. We got full, but we were not satisfied. I, I, I don't know about anybody. When I eat, I like to get satisfied. Huh? How many of y'all, when you eat, you want to get satisfied? Come on and do it. Do it. Do it till you're satisfied. I keep eating till I'm satisfied. Watch this, watch this. That food was bland. Are y'all with me? That food was bland, but it filled us up. Israel got impatient with God and, and God's provision for them, the manna from heaven. And they, they started desiring the food they had back in Egypt. Now, they were in captivity and wanted food back in Egypt. I pray for anybody here who allow food to take them back into captivity. We want to go back to Egypt. We had, we had food, we had this, we had this. They, they started murmuring and complaining. But guys, let me tell you something. When you're full, you're full. Are oh, y'all listening to me today? I told you on the last week, you may not have what you want, but thank God for what you do have. And just bless him with that, okay? So again, watch this. There was a sin of lust. Next, there was the sin of idolatry. Go to go to Exodus the 32nd chapter right quick. Exodus 31, 32, verse number one. Watch this. Exodus 32, verse number one. The sin of idolatry. Sin of lust. Lust for food. Lusting after sexual immorality. All kinds of stuff. Watch what the text says here. Exodus 32 and 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. Folks, let me tell you something. Don't you ever get in a position to where you get impatient with God and what he's working out in your life. What? Watch. <laughs> You've been in captivity for 40-something years. God delivers you, has this leader taking you to the promised land, and look at what they do when he goes away for a little bit of, little bit of time. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Look at verse number two. Watch this. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them there. Now, what was Aaron's relationship to Moses? Anybody know? He his brother, right? Aaron. Uh, and what, what was, the, what was, the, what was his, their sister's name? Miriam, you remember when Miriam Aaron started complaining about Moses because of the Ethiopian woman he had married? They started complaining because of the black woman he married. All right? Here, here we got that very same Aaron, brother to Moses, walk with Moses, saw God open the Red Sea, saw him bring him through on dry land, saw him bring down mountains from heaven, saw him give a cloud so, they won't, so, so, so when they walked in, in during the daytime, they wouldn't they wouldn't get all hot and burn up. Here God is guiding them with a, with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night providing a from heaven and then now when they get to a certain point and a little bit of time has transpired, they like, forget Moses. Just like some of us. Come on now. God has done so much for us. That's why I think it's always good to look back and reflect on what the Lord has done. Because when you're in your present day situation, you need to go back and pull on some stuff that God has done for you before. Because if he did it before, he can do it again. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it in the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are the gods. Watch this. These are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Ain't that a trip? Here they are saying this golden calf. These are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Verse five, watch this, watch this. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced tomorrow will be a festival to whom? Now, guys, watch this. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Listen, sometimes people get excited by stuff that God is not excited about. And sometimes you got to be not something all the time. You got to be careful. Don't just go because people, don't go with the flow because people are excited. Is it of the Lord or not? Is God leading this thing or not? These Aaron saw how excited people were. Any good leader don't just move with the excitement of the people. A good leader walks by principle, precept and command. A good leader stays on track with the purpose and the plan that God has for that group that he's leading. And just because people get excited, don't mean that that's God's mood. Can I get a witness? Just because people get excited, don't mean that that's God's plan for your life. Now, let's get back, let's get back. So, so again, uh, again, there was, there was the sin of idolatry. They, they, they created a golden calf. There was a the sin of fornication and immorality. Go with me right quick to, if you will, to, uh, to Ephesians, the second chapter. The sin of fornication and immorality. Y'all know what fornication is, right? That's sexual sins. And again, we've talked about this before. This was re- prevalent in Corinth because of the culture in which the church was birthed out of. And so what we see in this in this text is, is that, uh, that that the Corinthian church uh, was struggling with this uh, sexual immorality. And it was in the church. Remember, the fifth chapter where the guy was had the relationship with his stepmom. And the church didn't say anything about it because the guy obviously was a prominent member of the church. So they didn't, want, they didn't want to mess up the money flow. I tell you before, it doesn't matter how much money you give. It, it, it doesn't matter what position you hold. If you're not right, you're not right. And we got to declare wrong, wrong and right, right. When you are, when you're outside the will of God, that issue needs to be addressed. And this church did not address it. Go in with Ephesians, if you will, uh, the f- second chapter, verse number three. Let's look at that right quick. Hurry, hurry, hurry. All right. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires an inclination of our sinful nature. But by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Paul talking to the saints in Ephesus is talking about the fact that, that previously, before we were born again, we had that we were operating by our sinful nature. Look at verse number four. Let's read. It says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. That's the beauty of this thing, God. Even when our foul selves, even when we messed up, God still loves us. God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional. He still loves us, but he will judge us when we outside his will. Verse 5 says that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you have been Say look at verse six for good measure says for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Seven and eight. Let's read. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse eight, verse eight says God saved you by his grace when you believe and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. All of us are saved by the by God's grace, and it's not because of our goodness. Can we agree? Amen. So the fifth thing was they had the sin of murmuring and complaining and grumbling. The word, when, when the Bible said they tempted the God with their murmuring and complaining, it means they tried the Lord's patience. They tried the Lord's patience to see how far a person can go. That's what it means to test, to tempt to God means you try God's paper. Praising. You, you, you tempt, you, you, to tempt them means you test the patience of Christ. The believers of Israel often felt that God and his leader Moses demanded and expected too much of them. Guys, let me tell you something. God does not demand and expect too much of us. Anything that God demands and expects of us, we are more than able, able and capable of handling. God will not, God will not cause you or God will not ask you to do something that you're not capable of doing. So if, if it's in the word, he says, do it. You have the capacity to do it. The question is, are you willing to do it? Are y'all with me today? And so, 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 so what we look at here, uh, they, the, the sin of murmuring and complaining. Go with right with the Philippians 2, verse 14. Here, this is real important because sometimes we murmur and complain about stuff rather than trusting God for our deliverance. Philippians 2 and 4. Watch what it says. Can we read this out loud on no purpose? Ready? Let's read. Do everything without complaining and arguing. What does everything mean? Do everything without complaining and arguing. If you're going to cook food, cook it without complaining and arguing. I'm so tired of cooking. I just don't feel like. Thank God you got food to cook. Hello. Some of y'all came to church complaining and arguing. Look! 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 Yo, Yo, that doll Adam fella, he don't put them pews out and put them chairs. I like them pews. I want pews. Don't mess with my seat. Me and Sister Sally and, and, and Brother Joe, all of us are getting that same spot, but now he don't mess it up. Yeah, yeah, I hear, I hear it. I hear it in your spirit. Everybody say complaining. Yeah, some of y'all laughing. Yeah, you, that's you. Pews, chairs, okay. Are you, seating comfort, or you seated, seated comfortable? All right. And give us some flexibility to do some things that we want to do in here that we couldn't do with the pews park down there. OK. All right. But but do everybody I say do everything, do everything, including coming to church, church. Without, complaining without complaining and arguing. Without yes, Lord. <laughs> Go to Jude 16. Go to Jude 16. Do everything. If husband and wife are gonna engage in a situation, do it without complaining. Foot, that's all you want. Well, isn't it, 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 it? Is it not it a privilege and an honor that your husband desires you? It's not it a privilege and honor that your wife desires you. Why are you complaining? I mean, there may be some things you got to communicate and make sure that things are are appropriate and you're doing things right to please the other person. Don't just be, you know, whenever you engage in everything, you know, just, just make sure that you do it right. I mean, please each other. It should never be just me And all I care about is me. With your selfish self. Do it without complaining. I'm not going any further. My red mirror's taking my head. That's enough. That's enough. Get back in the gate. Get back in the gate. But guys, think about it. Now, when you're sitting there, how much complaining and murmuring do you do? They were comp- God is delivering, giving them food, cloud by day, pillar fire by night, and they're complaining. They're murmuring. The old folks say you're crying with a loaf of bread on your arm. How I many I heard that before? Too many of us sitting here crying with a loaf of bread on our arm. No, maybe you don't have the job that you want, but thank God you got the job that you do have, and it's putting food on your table, clothes on your back. Stop complaining. You know what I learned in life? Your perspective goes a long ways and determine the level of joy that you have on the inside. Even when you're dealing with stuff that may be unpleasant, even when you're dealing with stuff that may be a valid experience, when you look at it through the lens of God's word and and, and look at through the lens of the fact that you can trust him to provide for you and bring you through whatever it is you're going through, then you'll, you'll stop complaining. Because I promise you, listen to me, if I talk to two people, I can find somebody who's worse off than you are. Bring me in your situation and I can find within five minutes somebody who's worse off than you so you can say thank you, Jesus. Somebody ought to clap on that. Everybody said too much complaining and not enough of, I thank you, Lord. Look at what the text says here. These people are grumblers and complainers living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to do what? Read it one more time. to get what they want. want. Watch, read the next verse, just for good minutes, come on. But you, my dear friends, must remember what what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. Watch this. They told you that in the last times or in the last days, there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. Look at the next verse. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. The Corinthian church was divided. And you're going to have people who infiltrate the church to try to divide the church. Satan's greatest, I believe, strategy is is to try to destroy the church from within. Because he knows that if he attacks from without, we, we tend to solidify and I believe that what's going to end up happening in these last days is, is the church is going to be under all-out assault from society. Because God has to, has to allow us to come together so we can get this work done. And it's, it makes absolutely no sense that we as a body of believers amen, spend so much time pointing at other bodies of believers and talking about what they're not doing right and what we are doing right. Quit looking at others. Let's join together on the common ground of Christ. and then Promote the kingdom agenda. Get folks saved and transform our communities. But we spend our time, well, you know, church of God and Christ do it this way. The Baptists do it this way. The Methodists do it this way. Forget all that. Let's come together on the common ground of Jesus Christ and win some souls for Christ. And disciple some people and help transform our communities. Our communities are going to be transformed by people's lives being changed. If I get you saved, you stop breaking in my house. Hello, I mean truly say, if I, if I get you saved, then you'll stop shooting at me. Because Jesus is going to be on the inside, helping control you. Second point, God always provides a way of escape when we are tempted. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10 13. Come on, hurry. He provides a way of escape. Let's run through this real quick. Any person can fall, especially if he begins to feel safe and secure. Go to verse number 11. Back at the verse number 11. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 11. Look at what the text says. Watch this. Can we read together? It says, well, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. What things? The things that happened to Israel. The the, the fact that God judged them. They were his people. God's purpose and plan was to get them to the promised land. How many of you know that God desires for you to prosper? God desires for you to walk in health. God desires for you to have an abundant life. But it don't mean you're going to walk in it. Just because God wants it don't mean it's going to happen for you. Well, Pastor, I thought look, the Lord wanted it. it's going to have to happen. Well, he, 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 here's the beauty of how God created us. He gave us a free will. And our decisioning and our choices has a great determination as to where we go in life. See, I believe, I believe, I believe with all my heart, mind, and soul that, that God wants us to have abundant life. I mean, when I say abundant life, that means more than enough. Even when it comes to our finances, God wants to have abundance in our finances. But guess what? You, even though guess God's will, you may not be walking in that, depending on how you handle your money. Because even though God says, it, you know, bring you all the tithes in the storehouse, and let me meet in my house and prove me now here with it, the Lord Host, If I will not pour you out a window of heaven blessing, but you won't have room enough to receive. But God ain't going to make you tithes. And God said, "This when you bring the tithe to the storehouse, he says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. Who's the devourer? The enemy who's come in trying to steal your stuff. But you ain't it so you don't have that wall of protection up around you. So he keeps stealing your stuff. And you keep praying and begging God to give you so- Lord, please. You know what I need. Yeah, God said, I know what you need, but I'm waiting on you to trust me. Well, I do trust you, God. No, you don't, because you don't, you, you're not being obedient to what I told you. See, trust, trust, trust will be borne out with corresponding action. If I trust that Vic and Craig will catch me, if I just jumped out there flat like that. I would just jump out there flat like that, but guess what? I ain't jumping out there flat like that because I don't know if Craig and Vic gonna be able to hold me up. I would like to think that they could, but I don't know. So, 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 my trust in whatever will be borne out in what I do. Can I get a witness? These things happen to them as example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end, end of age. Watch this. I if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The Corinthian believers, like the Israelites, felt secure and felt like, okay, I got this thing. I'm, I'm good. I ain't got to worry about that. I ain't going to ever do that. How many of y'all ever made a confession, I ain't going to ever do that, and then you find yourself having done that, and you said you won't ever do? When you get secure in your own strength and think that I'm above any of that, there's no way I would do that. Don't you trust yourself. Don't you trust your flesh. Trust the God in you. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Verse 13 says what? The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will do what? Show you a way out so that you can endure. So there's a way to escape temptation, but to escape temptation... The believer must know three truths. Number one, every single temptation that attacks the believers is common to all men. You're not facing anything that nobody else ever faced. Y'all got that? It's it, All of us have faced, I mean, whatever you face, somebody has, has faced before, it may be packaged a little bit different, but it's the same stuff. Number two, God is faithful. He limits the temptation. Isn't that, isn't that good to know that God will not allow anything to come and entice me that I'm not able to handle. He won't, he won't, he won't let it happen. Okay. And number three, he always makes an escape route, a way out of the temptation. God always gives you a way out. You got to know that. And when that comes up and you feel like, man, I I think I want to do this thing. You got to go back and say, listen, God, where's my way of escape? God, I know you, you, you're not allowing this thing to come up on me that I can't bear. So God show me, how do I remove myself? How do I get out of this situation? I know my flesh wants to do it. But, but I got to stop. OK, I, I, I can't go. I can't go. Look at the next point. Point number three in our outline. Our, our Christian freedom has limits. Don't be a stumbling block. Go, go down to verse 23 with me right quick. So we saw. well, uh, He's saying Israel is, is our example. Corinthian believers, you guys thought you were strong. And could not affect you. But I'm warning you, take heed lest you fall. And then when you when you are walking in your Christian freedom, don't be a stumbling block. Look look, look what it says here. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Next verse, it says what? Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. What he's telling the Corinthian believers here, guys, as we go on, he says, listen, there are things in our life that we may have liberty to do, but we don't do it because it may cause somebody else to fall. So what, 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 how, do we, how do we test that? Test number one. Whatever you get ready to do uh, or whatever thing you get ready to buy, whatever you get ready to drink or whatever you get ready to eat, is that thing or that act expedient and edifying? In other words, is, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it really necessary? Is it, is it, is it something that you got to do? Is it expedient and is it edifying? Is it, is it going to build somebody up or is it going to tear somebody down? I ask yourself the question. I may have liberty, but is it gonna is it gonna hurt somebody if I eat this meat that's been offered in idol? Is it gonna hurt somebody if I take this drink? Is it gonna cause somebody to stumble and fall because of what I did? Okay, first question you got to ask: that is, is it is it is the act expedient? Is it is it is it necessary? And is it edifying? Is it building up? Test number two: Does the thing or act? seek the welfare of others? What am I doing? Look at verse 24 right quick. Does it seek the welfare of others? Am I thinking about others when I'm getting ready to do this thing? Or am I only thinking about myself? The truth be told, many of us are real selfish. We're only concerned about ourselves. You went out and gambled the rent money away. Now y'all got to move. You wasn't thinking about your children. You wasn't thinking about your wife. You went and gambled the money away and now y'all in a pickle. Look at what the text said. Don't be concerned for your own good but for the good of others. In the church, we got to make sure that our actions, what we do, we have to to think about how that's going to impact somebody else. If you go to fulfill the lust of your flesh and, and fulfilling the lust of that flesh causes you to... Uh, end up losing your job. Let's just say, for instance, I—I I, I know we got some military folks, and I like to use military examples because the military culture is a very unique and different culture. Uh, but but it's, it's based on order. If uh, if uh, y'all help me from right, brothers, if a a superior officer is found to be in a relationship with a subordinate, what happens to him? They cut him. He got to go. He's got to go. Right? Now, when that guy decides to do that or that woman decides to do that, guess what? Guess what? They're thinking about just themselves and that pleasure. They, they don't even think about how this is going to impact my family, how this is going to ruin my career. How, how is this going to just tear up everything that God has allowed us to build up over these years and all for that 10 minutes of pleasure? Okay, 11 minutes. Uh, 11, 7, somebody said 7, however long that was, you, you tore down 25 years of career development, 25 years of advancement, 25 years of, 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 of skill set built up to, get, to allow you to make $175,000 a year or $20,000 a year, and you threw it away for 7 minutes. Seventh, was it worth it? Okay, I'm about (laughs) finished. Test number three, does a thing or act violate our conscience? Does it violate our conscience? Look at 25 and 26 right quick. Test it, does it violate our conscience? So, So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Watch what he says here. Okay? The earth is the Lord and everything in it. But does the thing or act violate our conscience? Are you, I mean, is it, is it something that even though you may have the liberty to do it or somebody else, you know, does it cause you to violate your conscience? And if it does, don't do it. I'm talking about something that you got liberty on. I'm not talking about, you know, something you got liberty on. In other words, I'm not talking about a sinful act, but something that you have liberty to do. And even though you may be weaker in that area, not not realizing that it's not a sin. But 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 to you, when it violates your conscience, it becomes a sin. That's what Paul said. Okay. so does the the thing or the act violate our conscience? Test number four, is it courteous and kind? Ask yourself what I'm getting ready to do. Is it courteous and kind? Now, if you walk out the house and slam the door in your husband's face, that ain't courteous and kind, is it? Or slam the door in your wife's face or hang the phone up on them. How many, how many of y'all ever hung the phone up in somebody's face before? Can I see your hands? Your unkind self. Look at you. <laughs> Everyone said that wasn't right. Y'all in a relationship. Look. Uh, no, no, look, look, look. Look at 27. Come on, read it, read it, read it. Gotta go, gotta go. If someone who isn't a believer asks, asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. What is he saying here? If someone who's a, who someone who isn't a believer invites you to your home, don't go in there and ask them, "Was this meat offered to idols in the temple? Was this sold in the marketplace? Do you know where this meat came from?" He said, "Paul said, don't ask them questions." Hello. Now that's that culture there, but but if we, if we bring it forward, there may be some things that 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 you 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 say, well. Where'd you get this meat from? Your cousin, I know your cousin, yo, he he sell drugs, he gave you this meat. I don't want no drug dealer meat. Meat is meat, eat the meat. Paul said, I'll ask the question. Is that what it says? Where you got it from? Unbelieving invites you over? What does he say? If someone who isn't... A can we read it out? Read it with me right quick. Come on, let's go. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, eat whatever is offered to you without raising. Because your conscience may say, I don't want to eat any meat that, been, that, that, that was bought with drug money. Let me tell you something. You don't know what money came from. The money in your pocket, you don't know where it circulated. It, it may have been around the world and back. It could have been across all kinds of hands. I, I don't think anybody, any of y'all of him, when you got paid, said, I wonder where that dollar came from. He says, don't raise, don't, don't raise questions of conscience when you go to eat with that unbeliever. Some of, us, some of us don't know how to minister to people because when we go to interface with unbelievers, we get too churchy. Come together, don't come around, talk about things that didn't come. You know, you got to build a relationship before you go and try to lead somebody to Christ. And you up in there with your deep self, looking out, I don't like deep people. Come in looking at all. Looking all preachy. Relax. Put the person at ease. That's what Jesus did. Sinners kind of like hanging out with Jesus. He ain't with them. But you didn't compromise. So you can, you can be a believer and people can like being around you without you compromising. Hello? If somebody comes to your house, then you, you control what goes on in your house. If you go to their house and, and they playing some music that, that kinda got some curse words in it, you know, uh, you know, you can't you can't tell them you can't tell them what music play in their house. You go in there a witness. I mean I've heard cuss words before and some people cuss, some people can cuss. I mean just strong. <laughs> but he's an unbeliever. So I'm trying to win him for Christ. I'm not gonna start cussing, but I but but I know how to I know how to 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 tune my ears out, okay? Last one. So is it courteous and kind, okay? And, uh, uh, does the thing act to violate our conscience? Is it courtesy and kind? And does it hurt the conscience of another person? Look at 28 through 33, and we, we close on this. Sorry for going too long, guys. But suppose, but suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of of the one who told you. Now, the one who's telling you this is who, who don't believe that meat that's been offered to idols is good to eat. Now, you know you can eat whatever you want to eat, but if it's violating his conscience, then it says, uh, you know, don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. Look at 29. Watch this. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, hello, but it is for another person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks. That's what the Corinthians were asking. Why, 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 why I got to limit my freedom? Why, how, how come I can't eat this? I know it, it, ain't, no, it ain't no God but the true living God. Why I got to limit my freedom? Look at what Paul says here. Watch this. For why should my freedom, okay, if, if, okay, here we go. If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? That's what that's what the these spiritual mature believers were saying. They said, why, why, why you gonna limit me from eating pork ribs? I like ribs. As I a matter mean, I of fact, I ate some good one last night, y'all. Okay, let's finish. It was good, Andre. It was good, man. I'll tell you. The, I sucked the bone, brother. I sucked the bone. Any of y'all that sucked the bone? Come on now, admit it. Come on, I know you I know you are you're you're, you're sophisticated and you're you you a fi- a connoisseur of fine taste, but but if it's good enough. And that, and that smoke taste go all the way down to the bones. Don't you tell me you ain't sucked the bone before. Come on now. Now You don't do it in the restaurant now. Don't do it in the restaurant because that's too country, all right? But if you're at home, I got to finish, y'all. Y'all let me, if, if I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating? That's what the strong people are saying. Look at what he said. So he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. Don't offend him. I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. Paul says the reason why I'm saying this is, guys, there will be times when you're going to run up on people who, who think, of, you know, that, you know, they don't they don't know any better. You know better. You know you got liberty, but don't don't indulge because you a violate their conscience. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to win them to Christ. Or you're trying to grow them up in their faith. Okay? The Corinthian believers got to the point to where they they were ignoring this command, and Paul wanted to encourage them, amen? To uh, don't let your liberty be used as a stumbling block for somebody else. Amen? I'm out of time. Get a Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.